You've tuned into the Healthcare Blogs podcast. This is where everything about healthcare gets exposed. Welcome to Hardcore Health. Hey, it's Jessica DeMassa, and welcome to Hardcore Health. I've got with me Mr. Matthew Colt, the man behind the magic. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Should you be welcoming me to my own and our own podcast? Well, this is THCB's podcast, right? Yes, it is THCB's podcast. And what is THCB? But it's not the collection of all the stuff in healthcare you ever wanted to know, but were too afraid to ask. And it's also a collection of hundreds of different authors, contributors, and people all coming together to express lots of different stuff about healthcare policy, healthcare business, health technology, practice of medical care, medical ethics, and on and on and on. So if you care about healthcare, this is the right place to be. And, you know, finally, we have a podcast. Finally, it's like the talking version of the blog. It is. By the way, I think I've been doing podcasts since the, the blog started in 2003, but they seem to be old and trendy and, you know. The and new that's why we're here. We're like the soft bank of podcasts is basically what just happened. <laughs> we're, we're coming in right at the end. Is that right, at the end. right at the end. <laughs> we're on this trend. Hopefully it's going to go up and not down. We'll see for now. But uh, but it, that, the podcasts are mending billionaires. It could be us. It could be. And if not, everybody who's listening can just enjoy the dulcet tones of your voice while they're driving along to their healthcare cubicle job. <laughs> That could be fun indeed. Indeed. So um, a little bit about the podcast. Please. So everybody understands kind of what we're doing here. So really, we're bringing you a variety show, the best of the blog, really. Um, usually, this segment right now would be what we're calling hard and fast, because things are hardcore here on Hardcore Health. And so we'd have people arguing about the hot topics and big issues of the day. But um, we're taking this time to walk everybody through what we're doing and why, in case you're wondering. And then we are... I think we already did the why. We already did the why, I know. Okay, so now- so now what is we're going to have a bunch of interviews. So you'll have an opportunity to meet some of the people who are moving and shaking in healthcare. Then we have some of the stuff from the blog that we'll be looping in. So the best of health in 2.00 health technology's favorite two minute question and answer series. No, everybody's favorite. And then um, WTF health clips. So you get a few of my interviews in there as well. I've gone around the world. We're bringing you startups, all those exciting people. And then, last but not least, my favorite part of the two-minute rant. Okay. Well, um, will that just be me, or will we let other people rant too? No. We need other people to rant. We've heard enough from Ah, that. we've lined up a bunch of other ranters. I've got some patients, some patient advocates, some uh, doctors. There'll be plenty of ranting. Anybody who has something to say about what's wrong with the healthcare system and can compress it down to just two minutes, they'll be on the Hardcore Health Podcast too. It's like therapy. It is. It's, it's, it's like shouting therapy, if you believe that. Exactly. All right, Matthew, so you're kicking it off with an interview you did at HIMSS. We are indeed. So we're starting off with a teeny consulting company called Accenture. Actually, a really interesting guy called Brian Callis. So Brian has spent a lot of time looking at the digital health scene. Uh, it's now the post-digital health scene, he calls it. Maybe it's together health scene. We don't know what digital health is going to be called now. And I caught up with him, as he said, at the HIMSS conference a couple of months back to ask him about two particular things. The first thing I was, was going to ask him about was the survey work they'd done around consumers in healthcare. And then we talked more generally about where the market is as a whole and some of the startup work, work that uh, Accenture and others are doing. And so I'm going to start off by ranting to us about some of that survey work. Yeah, so just to start with um, the survey. So uh, this at HIMSS, we launched our 2019 Consumer Survey of Digital Health. We actually... Uh, what have you been doing this right now? How many years is this? Uh, this one, we... This particular version, the last time we did it was in 2016, and we've every two years we've done um, this this survey, and it goes back to 2014. So in terms of 
the, the different question we were asking with this one, we were really looking at U.S. consumers' both preference and use for both traditional and non-traditional types of healthcare delivery and receiving care services. Um, and with, you know, the continued evolution of virtual health, retail clinics, and all these non-traditional settings, we want to understand, well, what is actually happening there and what are people using? An interesting thing that we found is really looking at the generational divide uh, and how their demands for the use of these different settings. What we really found is um, Gen Z and Millennials have a strong appetite for using non-traditional settings over traditional settings. And they're really looking for uh, convenience, quality, as well as affordability when doing so. Um, and they're willing to mix across those settings. And it's a significant difference than when you look at baby boomers or the silent generation in terms of their expectations for using those settings. So dive into that one point a little bit. Is there a, did you find much of a distinction between sort of new forms of physical setting, like a retail clinic or an urgent care center, versus telehealth? Because uh, off camera, we were talking a little bit, and I was with a me- in a meeting uh, in a conference where Jason Gorovich from Teladoc was talking about how you know slow, how things were going and how they were growing, and only thirty percent of that rather fancy Wall Street Journal audience had ever had a visit. And I said to Jason, "Why is it taking so long?" He didn't really answer me, but you know, it seems to be taking a long time. It's, uh, it seems to me that the urgent care centers and the retail clinics are growing much faster. Or am I am I just not seeing the data properly? No, that's that's fair. And in the data, we actually, if you look at how that flows, you have retail clinics and urgent care centers kind of as the top in terms of use and preference. Uh, When you move down, then you're getting into um, virtual health solutions. And then the other category is what we call on-demand services, but that's a catch-all for self-management apps as well as on-demand services that come to your door. And that on-demand category is approximately 18%, but the retail clinic usage is around 50% utilization. What was the virtual care in between? Uh, The virtual care in between uh, is roughly in between both of those. So I think it was close to 30%. So similar to what you saw with the audience. See, that's really interesting to me because, you know, uh, I can understand why, uh, you know, people in the Medicare generation and above aren't so, so probably have a stronger relationship with their physicians. But anybody, in my mind, who has you know, got a good job working with a benefit plan that usually covers telehealth these days, it's surprising to me that there's just more activity. I'm just wondering why it's been so slow. Do you give a theory on that? Well, I think... Um, Part of this is awareness. There isn't necessarily sufficient awareness of that option. You say that, but United Healthcare runs these commercials, which are a whole bunch of stuff with doctors in demand, and uh, I think there's American well in them a while back. I mean, you know, there's been some effort to drive this. Well, I think that a lot of that's fairly recent. Like over the last 12 to 24 months is where you're actually seeing using traditional advertising and other means. Before it was actually added in a benefit package, maybe it was put in a welcome packet. So there was less awareness back then. The other thing is, it's a different way of receiving care. So just as us, as a society, we're still learning and adapting and getting comfort with receiving care in this way and also figuring out when to use that type of care um, and what it's appropriate for. And realistically, you're seeing kind of a mixed set of modes that people preference. Um, Both, like you were mentioning, the retail setting, virtual settings, in some that are even self-managed, you know, as well. So, so I think that, that, that uh, I want to transition a bit to one of the other things you've been doing, which is these uh, startup contests. That I mean, is a, a symbol for the amount of work that you and others at Accenture have been doing, sort of surveying this entire field. It's not kind of similar to what I do, and looking at all the different types of uh, technologies that are, out, that are are out there. You've had a wide range. You had a whole bunch of competitions in different yeah. countries, different continents. You've had a wide range of people uh, of companies entering that kind of thing. 
Um, one of the things I, n- I noticed that uh, uh, some of the winners there have been kind of in the in the, in the wellness and the, uh, the the lifestyle sector. I know that Utopia was one of the big yep. winners, um, and others have been more in the uh, delivery delivery of cases, technologies. When you without picking one or two, when you name these sectors, where do you think the most exciting stuff you're seeing in the startup area is? Yep. Um, so when you're looking at exciting er- uh, exciting areas, um, it does. You go. There's a lot of variation because it goes across the different the value chain. Um, one thing that was interesting this year is we did see a lot of innovations around social determinants of health and companies trying to address that challenge. So one of our regional finalists in North America was a company called NowPow, which looks to be the prescribing you know network for social services and social determinants. Um, and there were the fact that that is coming more prominently on the radar and solutions that are coming to market um, was an interesting finding. The other area is just unique applications of artificial intelligence, whether it's through consumer-grade applications or back-office solutions. So in consumer-grade, we're talking a lot about virtual health. Well, yes, you're seeing a lot of intelligent agents coming to the fore, whether it's for um, initial triage and diagnosis or if it's for getting higher labor productivity for back-office care plan management. So another regional finalist uh, was Conversa Health, which looks at both pre- and post-surgical planning as well as chronic disease management, and it does so in a way through a conversational interface. And the aim of that is just to simplify the interaction, provide that simplicity and convenience, but then also do a nice handoff to clinicians when needed. So it's not just all technology, it's a combination of technology plus people to actually get the job done more efficiently. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of excitement there and, and, and a lot of interest in you know, how can we fix that physician encounter and extend it out, but also take a lot of the burden off clinicians. I was just talking to the folks from Nuance who are trying to fix the encounter itself, whereas you know, the converses of the world and many others are trying to do that sort of uh, reach out using, you know, let's call it get a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a nurse in the conversation when they're needed, but a, a computer can deal or a bot can deal with it before that. I mean, that's, that is very exciting. Um, so, but on the other hand, we talk a lot about exciting, we have new stuff, new technology, we have this big show floor, which is obviously the healthcare establishment. Yep. You've been watching this space for a long time. We have uh, general craziness in Silicon Valley. Yep. You know, we're, we're right next to Uber over there, who in their, in their tenure is no, still nowhere near to make you a profit. You know? <laughs> but they've spent un- unbelievable amounts of money and raised unbelievable amounts of money. We've seen, you know, depending who you believe, with the startup folks, the Rock Health folks, the Mercom folks, somewhere between, you know, seven to $12 billion going into this sector year on year. Where do you think we are in the cycle? Do you think that's going to keep going? Do you think healthcare has got the appetite to fund more and more of these programs to see, you know, to, to, to drive them into the system to make some change? Or do you think we're closer to sort of 2001 again? No, that's a great question. I'd say, first, um, we are seeing a maturation of the digital health space, which, you know, from By going way, We're getting rid of that name. The, the, the government now call it Together Health, which I like. I mean, digital Health is a terrible name, by the way. Well, you'll like this as well. We we would agree. We actually are going into, we're moving into the post-digital style era. And I think part of that is a realization that, and you, it even ties back to our consumer survey. This is just health and healthcare. And yes, technology fits in, and that's what people expect. And these are new ways of providing it that fit with both physical and digital together. So I completely agree with that. I think with that, you are seeing a number of companies maturing and getting more traction, some falling out, yet there is still more money coming in, allowing new entrants that does create a lot of confusion about, well, what do we do here and what's real? That is part of one of the reasons why we do the Health Tech Challenge is to, one, see what else is coming out there, 
but also kind of filter and whittle down to go, all right, what's gaining traction and go from there. Um, I would state we are starting to see health systems and health plans exploring this in meaningful ways of figuring out how do we participate, whether it's custom solutions they would build as well as how do they participate in the ecosystem. Um, there's definitely more supply than there is demand still. So to your point, right, right. yes. So we've we've seen this. I, um, I see it continuing. Um, and I, in terms of uh, the funding levels, it's still too early to tell where this will land in my view. Yeah. Well, so let, let me ask you a, a big macro question yeah. about this. So uh, it's 1993. Um, Jeff Bezos shows up in John Dawson's office at Kleiner Perkins, and he says, I have this great idea for doing online book sales. He doesn't say, I'm going to go take, I'm going to create this system and go take it to Barnes and Noble and Borders Books and make them more efficient. He says, I'm going to build my own system and put them out of business. You're starting to see, I would say that the vast majority of, of health tech, digital health has been, how can we figure out a glob onto Epic, sell it to a existing system, deal with the existing pharma payers, providers. You're starting to see a few players out there now who are building their own types of new clinics from scratch, raising funds. A couple of now pay Vida, Medicare bonus plans, the, the Park Brothers that devoted and the folks at Clover and elsewhere. Most of the, a lot of the retail world has bowed down to Amazon and Google and others. Where do you think we stand in healthcare? Do you think there's a chance for a sort of new platform, the Tesla, if you were, of healthcare money? Or do you think it has to go through Mayo and Johns Hopkins and Sutter and all of the regular channels? Well, I think what's interesting is we are seeing a lot of the movement there is actually causing traditional health incumbents to start to think differently. Now, it's early stage in that, so we'll see how it materializes, but trying to think of um, how do we provide new models of care that have a different care team composition that serve unique needs, and how do we do so both physically and digitally um, and extend? And a lot of those are looking at, I'd say, you're seeing increased specialization in primary care as an example of that. So if you look at um, some of the startups you're mentioning that are building their own platforms, if you look at City Block Health, focusing heavily on Medicaid, changing the composition of the care team, blending physical space with technology in community, being one example. Um, you also have Oak Street, based out of Chicago, similar thing, Medicare Advantage, trying to figure out how do we tackle those problems. And now you're starting to see collaborations with some of those companies. Oak Street, collaborating with Advocate and Aurora, that's interesting. Some are trying to create their own versions of those specialized care models. And all of them have a blend of different mix of how people provide care with technology, really looking at what are people's needs. Really, now we're trying to, and, and really looking at how do you scale it? I think it's interesting, we're, it'll be interesting over the next few years to see how that goes. Will, will culture and structure act as a barrier? Or will, they be, will some systems be able to pull it off? Can you get there from here? Hasn't YouTube in the way in, in tech and corporates, but uh, maybe in healthcare. <laughs> it's quite interesting. All right, I'll leave it there. I've been talking with Brian Callis. Uh, he is the uh, digital health guy, but no longer digital health now, the beyond digital health. Post digital health. Post digital health guy at Accenture. Brian, thanks for your time. Brian Callis from Accenture. Matthew, great job with that. So what were some of the key takeaways for you from that conversation? Well, I thought it was pretty interesting the way they sort of sliced up between the millennials and Gen Z and the, what do you call it, the baby boomers and the silent generation, about how they, they care about different stuff. But it's interesting that all that money that's gone into telehealth, in fact, they, the, those guys, they want physical stuff, but they want it at the urgent care center or at the retail clinic. The other thing was this whole issue around replacement versus augmentation. Are we going to change the world by building new stuff to take out the incumbents? 
one of the incumbents going to hang out with the big players. He was talking about Oak Street Health playing with Advocate. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. It seems to me that we've got to really create, go around the big hospital systems. And the more you let the big hospital systems muck around in the startup world, the, the farther we're going to get from really changing healthcare. Yeah, that's going to be a contentious point. That, that argument will keep going until I die. But uh, like I said, you didn't see Barnes & Noble doing a deal with Amazon. Amazon wiped them out. Speaking of wiping out, this podcast is going to be wiped out if we don't acknowledge our wonderful sponsors. You're listening to Hardcore Health, the podcast from the healthcare blog. Hardcore Health is sponsored by our good friends at Lavongo. Lavongo is working hard to silence noisy healthcare and help people manage their chronic conditions with greater ease and better outcomes. You can find out more about Lavongo at lavongo.com. All right. Well, up next, we've got the best of Health in 2.0. What the hell is Health in 2.0, Jessica? Health in 2.0 is the single greatest two-minute question and answer show in health technology. It is about health technology. And why the hell are we doing it? Well, I believe that you were a couple drinks in, and it was J.P. Morgan last year. And you decided that we needed to do some sort of a rapid fire question and answer show to talk through all of the deals that were going on in health tech. And why was it called Health in 2.00? Wow. Was somebody having seller's remorse about losing Health 2.00? (laughs) (laughs) The original? No, because it's 2.2 minutes.00 second, right? Nothing to do with Health 2.0. Not at all. What is Health 2.0? Who knows? Who can remember? (laughs) All right. What are we doing for this podcast with it? All right. So what we're doing, there's a lot of health... (laughs) As best as we try to stick to that two-minute format, you and I have a lot of bullshit that we go through. What? So, yes, absolutely. Some, some would say that it's the gold of health in 2.00. Others would say, can we cut that and just get to the two minutes of questions and answers? And that's what we're doing here. This episode was recorded at the American Telemedicine Association meeting in New Orleans. <laughs> What did you learn about virtual care here at ATA? So I learned that the Cleveland Clinic has only ever done, in all its history, 50,000 virtual visits. New York Presbyterian last year did 150,000 virtual visits. Uh, right now, it's a pimple on the rear end of the healthcare system. Wow. There is still very low adoption of telehealth visits. It needs to bring much, much more stuff into the equation to do, uh, to, to really make a big impact on the chronically ill, but it is growing in, and there are lots of companies around doing Interesting stuff, so it's on the cusp. Favorite exhibitor that you ran into here? Oh, definitely. Turn around. Rhinogram. Woo! Because we found out that rhinos have a sage bird on top. Uh-huh. I have no idea what Rhinogram does otherwise. It's like a texting thing that you can text into a system. But very cool. They have the best thing. But we did have a very interesting conversation with Eagle, Eagle. Health. Eagle. Because we found out that there was a corner... Convo- no, convocation, convocation of, of eagles. Of a group of eagles is called a convocation. But the best thing we found out from the people who run Runner Care, used to be at a company called Jellyfish, that the concept of a jelly, the number of jellyfish grouped together is called a snack, snack of a jellyfish. A snack of jellyfish. Okay, but onto more important things. The CMS rules that have changed Medicare Advantage reimbursing telehealth yes. differently. What's the so, deal? Roughly 35% of Medicare recipients are in Medicare Advantage. They're not going to be able to offer telehealth for their basic benefits, which should be a big boom to it. More and more people going into Medicare Advantage. We'll see what happens with Medicare for all, but that's that's a good thing that will help telehealth. Medicare is also in fever service reimbursing remote monitoring and chronic care management. So helping get us towards where we need to go. Totally. Big raise this week was CityBlock at 65 million. CityBlock. This is a fantastic new service. Came out of Google. 65 million. They're at now a total of 80 million or so. 
really interesting, doing delivering care to the poor for Medicaid, really interesting model. I wouldn't recommend moving to New York and becoming poor to take advantage of it though. Now is the time on Hardcore Health where we're going to feature Jess's own WTF Health series. And just in case you were confused, WTF stands for What's the Future Health? And in a little bit of microdosing, Jess, we're just going to have a brief three or four minutes of a longer interview here. You can go and see these long-form interviews on WTF.health. And with our first extract on Hardcore Health from WTF Health, it's Nico Skavaski from Redox. In the land of interoperability, yes. we're going to talk to the man who's going to undo the need for an interoperability showcase because everything will already be interoperable. So there will be no need to highlight it on the show floor. Is that right? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. So the, the main idea around, so interoperability can be solved in a hundred different ways for health systems and for vendors and for all the players in the space. But a lot of the solutions out there are kind of just solving it one by one. And the thing that we're trying to accomplish is creating a network such that interoperability is not a problem in the more, anymore. They're all just connected already. So when you need that data, there's a place to go to turn it on. Um, so that's, that's the kind of vision that we hope to see. And yeah, in, in that future, we won't need an interoperability showcase. Interoperability will hopefully be the least important thing, the least sexy thing to be talking about. And we can kind of get past that. It's so uh, sexy right now. Interoperability is sexy. It, it involves tacos, it involves margaritaxes, um, but it it should be a commodity. It should be something easily and available to everybody, like like plumbing, like sewage, like the streets on our on our towns, um, and that should be how interoperability works. Okay, so why doesn't it work that way? Because I mean, like one of the things that I immediately think of to myself is I'm like I'm looking around this show floor here at Hims, and there's like millions and billions of dollars here invested yeah. in kind of keeping things not interoperable, right? Because all of these little companies then are going to go away. So, I mean, so, so is there, does, is the incentive within the industry aligned for interoperability the way that we hope it is? So when we think about the warm and fuzzies in healthcare, like what, why we're in it, right? To help patients, uh, the incentives are aligned. We want to help patients. But when we think about the cold, hard business of yeah. healthcare, incentives are not necessarily aligned. And especially, you know, we're moving towards value-based care, right? That's going to be great for the industry. We've been saying we're moving towards it for years. But value-based care actually has perverse incentives with interoperability. Interoperability enables a patient to shop, enables a patient to use their data and go wherever they want. And interoperability is, is, is really something that will enable leakage for value-based organizations. And leakage is, is terrible for their business. So when we think about like the business incentives here, um, a lot of health systems have an incentive to keep their data closer to them to keep their patients. One of the things that I think we can all agree on is the patient should have their data, but when it gets to the business, that, that's not necessarily the case. So the approach that I think will actually solve the interoperability problem is through technology adoption. So a lot of the technology, like the vendors that we see around us, need to be able to exchange data with electronic health records to run their products. So if we look at enabling technology enabling interoperability through technology adoption, we're actually going to see the problem get solved. And as a byproduct of that, we'll be able to allow patients to have their data and move freely from health systems. But when we tackle the problem head on, it's a little too much, a too much business risk for health systems to, to swallow. Is it, is, is the, like the strong advocacy for patients having their data, is that helping then or hurting? 
the, their cause in the long run. If what you said is yeah. true, that it's like the, like the patient liquidity of data will, will be a byproduct of the system changing the technology first, but it's like the patients are clamoring for it now. And so it almost feels like there's some of these like band-aid solutions being put in place, which kind of got us into this mess in the first place. Yeah. So are, is that, is that cry for data from the patients helping or hurting the cause? Well, the thing is patients aren't crying for data. They, they don't want their data. Uh, but depends who you ask. If you ask e-patient Dave, he definitely wants yeah. his data. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's an early adopter, right? That's the fringe. But the average patient doesn't want their data. I've never requested my data from the health system. But what we need, patients don't want data; they want information. And information is the application layer. Okay. So d applications turn. How are you? Data. Yeah, say say more about how you're differentiating those two things: the data versus the information. Yeah, information is something you can use to change your behavior. It's in, it's it's. Uh, valuable to you. Data is, is bits. And if you see your data coming out of a health system, it's a nasty XML file. It's not really human readable. It, it needs some sort of application to turn that into something that is useful to you. Um, and that's why the government has put so much effort around, it's re really creating the infrastructure such that these applications can exist. In healthcare, we need, we need the killer app to come out. But I guess in healthcare, we shouldn't say killer app. But we, we, need, we need the app to come out that will actually engage patients. Yes. And in order for that app to come out, we need the infrastructure for the apps to be built upon. And that's the regulations that came out yesterday, two days ago now. Yeah. Um, it's really about how do we get data from health systems, from providers, from payers, into hands of patients through an API structure. Um, and those, those APIs are what these applications are going to be built upon. So that was Nico Skavaski talking to me at HIMSS. I think he may have had one too many Margaritoxes, but nonetheless, a very compelling vision for what the future of health could be. All right, but enough about the future. Let's talk about the present situation in healthcare. This is probably my favorite part of the Hardcore Health podcast. This is a two-minute rant. And what this is is basically people who are talking about why they're fed up with the healthcare system today. So coming up, we've got some great people lined up for you. We've got patients, we've got advocates, we've got change makers, people with big, bold ideas about how the healthcare system needs to change to get better. But right now, we're going to kick it off with Matthew Holt. As a healthcare policy walk, I'm actually not a big fan of single payer. I mean, Medicare for all, the sort of Bernie Sanders promoted version of fewer service Medicare that Obamacare tried and basically failed to get rid of. We lock too many problems in our current healthcare system into place. I actually remain a disciple of the prophet and former Stanford business professor Alan Enthoven, who's managed competition theory and system, while that was roundly ignored in his own country, is actually the basis of the Dutch healthcare system. And that's recently been assessed as the world's best. But I'm not ranting as a policy wonk here. I also run a small business. I'm not buying health insurance for four employees, and it is a total nightmare. Now, my company was buying insurance for some kind of agglomerated group put together by an HR outsourcing company. And this is doing about four levels of agent, broker, insurance, and intermediary, all with their hands in the cookie jar. At the end of last year, somebody was supposed to arrange a renewal. But of course, nobody did until the very last minute. And uh, even though it was the same insurer and the same setup, most of my employees didn't get insurance cards or coverage until the middle of January. And when the renewal did get done, Suddenly, premiums were 40% above where they were the year before. We didn't have a chance to go out and reselect. It was just terrible. And it didn't stop there. We were actually overcharged. We kept on paying for some employees who left. And we had to go to the map to sort that out. And somewhere in the middle of that, the insurer told us that we weren't buying insurance, but instead we're in some kind of pooled risk benefit fund. And we've been mispriced. Now, in the middle of the year, they wanted our premium to go up another 70%. What to do? 
Well, the HRI greater folks found me a different broker with another health plan. It actually had worse benefits, but it only had that 40% increase from last year, not the 70% extra. And now I have to tell my employees to change their plan and maybe change their doctors in the middle of the year. You can just imagine the amount of emails I've been dealing with, complaints, hassle back and forth with the brokers, the employees, and all that stuff. None of it. None of it is helping my business. Forget the politics. If you offer me, as a small business owner, some flavor of universal insurance that gets directly financed out of taxes and gets me out of the business and offer of offering and running my employee self-insurance, I am the first in line to sign up. All right, Matthew. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest. If you're still listening and can't get enough of that guy, you can always follow him on Twitter and hear more. He's at Bolty Boy. And now coming up, we have the editor-in-chief of the healthcare blog, Zoya Khan, with a series of shameless plugs. Hi, I'm Zoya, and this is what I'm plugging. One, subscribe to our Hardcore Health podcast channel on iTunes or Spotify. Two, subscribe to the THCB Reader, which will give you the latest updates on what you missed on the healthcare blog. Three, want Matthew's help with your health tech startup? Check out smack.health. Four, another special shout out to our friends at Lavongo who are working to silence noisy healthcare. Five, subscribe to Jess's YouTube channel, WTF Health, where she interviews the latest and greatest in health tech. Six, subscribe to Health in 2.0, also on YouTube, where Matthew and Jess answer questions involving updates in the health tech world in just two minutes. Seven, be sure to check out Hems Health 2.0 Europe, which is from June 11 to the 13th in Helsinki. Eight, also come to Health 2.0, hosted in Santa Clara from September 16th to the 18th. If you too want to appear in these shameless plugs, email me at zoyatthehealthcareblog.com. Back to you, Jess and Matthew. Well, that's it. And if I must say, that was pretty hardcore, don't you think, Matthew? I think it was more healthy than hardcore. I don't know. I really think it was more hardcore. Well, it's hardcore and healthy. There you go. That's the, that's the point, right? So we want to thank all of our guests who um, participated in this first episode. Big thanks to Brian Callis from Accenture, Nico Skavaski from Redux, and Matthew to you for that great rant there at the end. Uh, thank you. Hopefully we'll have some a wider diversity of ranters and also people on the show in the coming weeks. I uh, also want to thank a couple of people who put this together. So I can editor of the Healthcare Board, and Admiral Gafour, who's our technical producer. And uh, what's happening next? Well, next, there's going to be another episode soon to be released. And in the meantime, people can keep up with us on the healthcare blog. All right, Jess. Well, I look forward to seeing you and being here with you on the next Hardcore Health. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.